You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. Ephesians 4, verse 30. We have two weeks left in our series on the Holy Spirit, Lord willing. And all throughout this series, we have been examining the person, the presence, and the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to remind you um, as to where we started in this series, way back in week one, all the way back, I believe, again, it was January, and here's the quote by Thomas Arnold. This is where we began in the first week. He who does not know God the Holy Spirit cannot know God at all. That's why this series is such a big deal. That's why it's utterly foundational. Because if we don't know God the Holy Spirit, then really we're operating within two-thirds of the Trinitarian Godhead. It's not going to go so great. This is why we need to be here. This is why we need to know Him. And what we learned this weekend is a huge part of knowing God the Holy Spirit is knowing He's a person. And as He is a person, what the Bible tells us, we also need to know that we can also grieve Him. We as children of God can grieve the Holy Spirit of God because, again, He's not a force. He's a person. He can be grieved. And so this becomes a very, very important truth in our lives as we consider the fact that we can quench the Spirit of God. We're going to here this weekend, we can grieve the Spirit of God, and therefore, if we grieve the Spirit of God, think of the blessing that we forfeit. Think of the marriages that struggle and crumble because they are grieving the Holy Spirit of God. Think of the power that we don't experience. Because we grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Think of the churches that fall apart. Because they grieve the Holy Spirit of God. When we grieve the Holy Spirit of God, when we quench His fire in our lives, wisdom gone, strength gone, glory gone. So we got to take a few moments to learn what it means to grieve the Holy Spirit of God, so we can avoid it at all costs. Another critical message for our lives today in the person, the presence, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4, let's start at verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Wasting no time, let's jump right in. As we seek to relate and love the Holy Spirit, number one is this, do not grieve Him. Why? It causes Him sorrow. Do not grieve Him. 
It causes him sorrow. The very truth that we are able to grieve the Holy Spirit of God, the very fact that that is fact should cause us right now sober-minded reflection. Again, you can't grieve a force. It's impossible to grieve a force. You can grieve a person. And theologians have recognized that truth for centuries. Verse 30, the word grieve here means to cause sorrow or to cause distress. It's remarkable to think that this is the impact of our sin upon God the Holy Spirit. When we sin, the Holy Spirit will experience the grief appropriate to His deity. He is God, therefore He hates sin. He detests sin. He cannot stand in the presence of sin. So when our lives are riddled with sin, you can imagine the reaction of the perfect Holy Spirit of God within us. Because let us not forget that we, as we are regenerated by the Spirit of God, we actually become temples of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And for example, in 1 Corinthians now chapter 6, consider the impact of sexual sin within our temples as we are temples of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, flee from sexual immorality. Every other person, every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Sexual immorality, pornea, all sorts of different kinds of sexual sin. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom, person, Holy Spirit of God, you have from God? You are not your own. For you are bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. Because we are temples of the Holy Spirit. And when sexual sin comes into the temple of the Holy Spirit, you can only imagine when pornography knocks on the door of the temple and the Holy Spirit approaches the door and is aghast at what he sees. Think of how grieved he is in that moment. Think of how sad he is. You want to let that in here? You want that wretched filth, sin of the pit of hell itself to come in here? And remember that when we let that sin into our lives, that's what actually happens. This isn't just a nice symbol or metaphor, some kind of illustration. This is what happens. He becomes grieved. He is saddened. He is brought to feel sorrow over the impact of sin entering his temple, our temple of the Holy Spirit. Now remember in Ephesians 4 verse 30, and do not grieve the Spirit of God. This is not provoking the Holy Spirit to anger. It doesn't say that here. 
Not that he's angry. It's that he's sad. It's that he feels sorrow. And I wonder who in their right Christ-like mind would actually desire to cause the Spirit of God to feel grief. Remember also, our sin does not limit the Holy Spirit's power, but rather it causes Him to remove His power from our lives. Think of when we grieve someone, when we hurt someone, when we offend, but, but it causes someone sadness. Think of how they get hurt. And think of when we hurt someone, what do they do so often? They withdraw. They withdraw from us because we have hurt them. They are sad. They often don't want to look in our direction because they have been grieved by the hurtful actions that we have done against them. This is what the Holy Spirit does. He is hurt. And he can withdraw. Of course, he doesn't do this in any kind of sin at all. He's perfect. He doesn't sulk in the corner. But he's saddened. Again, verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Question, what does that tell us about our relationship with, our relationship with the Holy Spirit? It tells us that our relationship with the Holy Spirit is one of incredible, marvelous, supernatural intimacy. Think of how closely he is connected to us. Think of how much he loves us. Loved ones, why is the Holy Spirit so sensitive to our sin? It's because he loves us so much. If he didn't love, he wouldn't care. Think of how you feel when someone you love so much sins seriously in their lives or maybe against you. Think of how you feel when someone you care about so much and sin enters their lives in any form, especially a serious form. How do you feel about that? You are saddened. You grieve. You feel hurt. At times you are distraught. It's not their sin in your life. But it's their sin that causes you to feel that sadness and that grief. Again, verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. See, now we're starting to understand why the Holy Spirit cares so much. Notice the Holy Spirit is the instrument by which believers are sealed. But he is also the seal itself. He seals us and he is our seal. He is our guarantee. And all of this is for the day of redemption. The day of redemption is the return of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit comes and lives within us. He regenerates us. He adopts us. He sanctifies us. He seals us. He guarantees our departure and salvation and glory for the Lord Jesus Christ. He loves us. Is there anything more he can do to prove his love for us? It was the Holy Spirit that lifted your veil. It was the Holy Spirit that showed you Jesus Christ. It was the Holy Spirit that took your clenched hands together and unloosened them that you may receive the grace of the Savior himself. It was all the Holy Spirit. That's how much he loves you and me. And do not grieve 
the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Is there any wonder then why he is grieved by our sin? And isn't it so true that the more we know someone loves us, then the more we are grieved when we hurt them. I said something hurtful to one of my children the last week or so. And as you say it, and because you love them and you know they love you, it doesn't take long for the conviction to come and the sorrow to be felt and to walk back over and to apologize and say, I don't want to hurt you like that. I don't want to cause you to grieve. Now take the feelings I have towards one of my children. Now in times that by infinity of the relationship we have with the Holy Spirit of God and how much He loves us. And therefore, when we sin in such a way, the grief that He would feel and the grief that we must feel as we have grieved Him. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Why? Because it causes Him sorrow. It causes Him sorrow. Here's a pertinent question. Okay, grieving the Holy Spirit causes him sorrow, but how do I grieve the Holy Spirit? Let's look into that in detail right now. The obvious answer, as we know right now, is sin. I grieve the Holy Spirit by my sin. But can we be more specific? Yes. Let's allow our context to speak to this. If we simply look at the context of Ephesians 4 and Ephesians 5, we will see many detailed ways that we grieve the Holy Spirit. These will be on the screen for you. I want you to take a look. Just in our context of Ephesians 4 and Ephesians 5, here are the ways that we grieve the Holy Spirit surrounding our verses right here. Notice, first of all, when we live like pagans, Ephesians 4, 17 and 18, do not live like the world. You've been saved from that. So when worldliness fills our lives, of course, that will be a sin that will grieve, cause sorrow upon the Holy Spirit, lying. Ephesians 4, verse 25, speaking truth is what we are called to do. When we lie, we grieve Him. Um, Being angry, verses 26 and 27, there's a righteous anger, but we're going to see in just a moment too, there's a very real unrighteous anger, and the anger that is within us grieves the Spirit of God. Stealing. Verse 28 of chapter 4. In my small group this week, and we were meeting the small group of men that I meet with to study God's Word, and we were asking the question about the season of taxes and and what's right to do and what's wrong to do, but just to remember that when we withhold those things, it's amazing that this actually becomes a form of stealing, dishonesty, relates to stealing, and God sees it all. And so this is part of what will grieve the Spirit of God in our lives. Do we trust Him, or are we seeking to be greedy and be dishonest at the end of the day? Steal. All these things grieve Him. Cursing. Verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good. I was speaking with a friend this week. Who loves the Lord? And he was in a tough place. And he was angry. 
And in his anger, honestly, to my shock, he said a word that was certainly considered a curse word. And I have never heard him say this before. And immediately as he did it, my spirit went, Ugh! and immediately I said, do not say that. And right away he recovered and, 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 and repented. It's amazing to me just to hear the word spoken and the way my spirit was affected. No, no, that's wrong. It just says it grieves the spirit of God within me. And I know it grieved the spirit of God within him as well. Let us not let habits fall upon our lives that begin to quiet the voice of the Holy Spirit on a consistent basis. Bitterness, anger, slander, all of these grieve the Spirit of God. Verse 32, unforgiveness. 1 Corinthians tells us that one of the great strategies of Satan is to cause us to be wrapped up in bitter relationships with other people and to not forgive them that we might come to significantly great harm. And this will grieve the Holy Spirit. Chapter 5, verses 3 and 5, of course, sexual sin. This is just in our context, loved ones. This is our context of what grieves the Holy Spirit of God. Now, notice especially in the immediate context surrounding verse 30. Notice verse 29 and notice verse 31 and 32. They are all relational sins. So we can say here from this text that one of the fundamental ways that we grieve the Spirit of God is when there's disunity in our lives, especially among other believers and, of course, with any person at all. Notice how important biblical unity is to the Holy Spirit of God. So the question we ask right now, if you and I are serious at all of being in a right place before the Holy Spirit, that we do not desire to grieve Him because it causes Him sorrow, where in our lives right now are there relational sins that are being used to grieve the Holy Spirit in our lives? Who in your life do you need to get right with that you will no longer diminish and cause sadness upon the Holy Spirit of God as you and I desire to please Him with our lives? Do not grieve Him because it causes Him sorrow as we relate to him and love him. You see, the, you see the fundamental motivation here? It's because he loves us so much that we desire to love him in return. And we do not want to make him sad. As we love him, we will not grieve him. It causes him sorrow. Secondly, do not quench him. It stifles his fire. You're in Ephesians 4 right now. I'm going to ask you to turn to your right to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians. Just a couple of pages, 1 Thessalonians. Let's start at verse 16. 
Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians. Verse, chapter 5, verse 16 says, Bless you for turning. I'll just wait a couple more seconds. You get there. Shouldn't be hard. Shouldn't be hard. Just a couple of pages to the right. Chapter 5, verse 16, 1 Thessalonians. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Notice, do not quench the Spirit, do not despise prophecies. Do not quench the Spirit. When the word quenched is used in the New Testament, it is used in regards to suppressing fire. For example, in Ephesians chapter 6, we are commanded to take up the shield of faith, the shield of faith to extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. Extinguish the fire, the flaming darts. Either. Extinguish is the same word used for quench in 1 Thessalonians 5.19. In fact, the NIV, some of you have that translation right now, the NIV translates chapter 5 verse 19 in 1 Thessalonians is, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. So a very helpful way for us to look at this is to see the Holy Spirit as a fire dwelling within each believer. He's the fire burning within us. And the last thing we should want to do as believers is to quench, stifle, or extinguish this fire. Consider then the two ways that a fire will go out. The first way you will cause a fire to cease, to rage, or to flame is to remove the fuel supply. A fire will not last long if the fuel supply of that fire is withdrawn. Now, I got to admit, I, I love fires. I grew up as a kid. We had a, a fireplace in our home when they back when they still had fireplaces when they built homes. And I used to sat, sit there for hours and hours tending the fire. And I remember when the dump truck would come and, and all the logs would be laying on the driveway and I'd be out there, man, stacking them on the, in the garage and they all there and going on the cold winter days and going out and carrying out a bunch of logs and letting the fire and a little bit of a pyro, a little bit, a little bit, okay, a little bit. And I remember putting the fire on and lighting it and then stoking it and putting another log on and tending to it and keeping that flame burning bright right? How many campfires have I built over the years too? How fun it is to go and gather the kindling from the woods and, and strip off some of the birch bark and, and go and get bigger sticks and get ready that campfire for whatever you're going to do, cook food or, or, or roast s'mores, whatever it might be, marshmallows and all that, and you're there. But if you don't fuel, there's no fire. You want to see the Holy Spirit fire go out? Starve it from fuel. What does that look like in our lives? What is the fuel of the fire of the Holy Spirit in our lives, number one, number one way we add fuel to the Holy Spirit fire is to abide. Abiding is our strongest, biblical, most powerful way of putting fuel on the Holy Spirit fire. Abiding in what? More like abiding in who? Abiding in Jesus. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, it shall be done for you, John 15, 7. How do we abide in Jesus? We abide in his word. We abide in prayer. We pray to him. We, we cry out to him. 
I just read today, Hannah, pouring out her soul, the Bible says in prayer, saying to Eli, I've poured out my soul before the Lord. And her request is granted to son Samuel that is born. You want to put fuel in the fire of the Holy Spirit in your life? You abide in Christ. You abide in his word. You abide in prayer. You abide in fellowship. You abide in musical worship. What a gift again. Musical worship today. Tonight. And every time we do that, love and I've rarely been aware again. I do not stand a chance of surviving another day in ministry if I don't put logs on the Holy Spirit fire. If I'm not constantly seeking Him, if I'm not unceasingly praying to Him, if I'm not daily surrendering to Him, you won't make it. It doesn't work. Do not quench. Do not quench the spirit. What's the second way a fire goes out? The first way is to remove the fuel. The second way is to extinguish the fire altogether. To put water on it. To cover it and smother it and stifle it and to deprive it of oxygen. Then that fire will go out. What does that look like in our life? So I abide to add the fuel... But quenching the spirit can also be smothering so the fire goes out or putting water on it. What does putting water on the Holy Spirit's fire in my life look like? I have three main answers for you right now on the screen. The first way we put water on the fire, so this isn't just now not adding logs. This is pouring water on. The first way we quench the spirit and put water on his fire in our lives, in our marriages, in our families, in our church is by despising him. Look at verse 20 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. This is so connected to verse 19. Do not despise prophecies. Now what I want us to see here, to despise the gift of prophecy is to despise the gift of the Holy Spirit. To despise his gift is ultimately to despise him. When we despise his working. Prophecy can be seen in a couple of different ways. It's so connected though to the word of God. Despising can be ignoring the gift and work of the Holy Spirit altogether. Again, the churches that we know that would be classified as Father, Son, Holy Bible. Or despising can be abusing the work of the Holy Spirit. Taking what he has said, but adding to it and letting chaos erupt, that is despising him and his gifts. That will throw water on the true fire of the Holy Spirit, even though there's some that will say, Look how big the fire's burning, it's not authentic in him. Despising him, we throw water on the Holy Spirit fire. Secondly, neglecting him. Neglecting him will throw water, water on the Holy Spirit, fire within our lives. What verse 1 Thessalonians 5 is telling us is one of the great ways the fire of the Holy Spirit is seen through us is his gifts in us. I want you to look at two verses with me here on the screen as it relates to the gift of the Holy Spirit, okay? This is what we do not want to do. This will throw water on his fire in our lives. This is for many of us here right now. 
1 Timothy 4.14, do not neglect the gift of the Holy Spirit you have, which was given by you the, by the prophecy when the council of elders lay hands on you. If you neglect the gift of the Holy Spirit in your life and the gifts he has entrusted to you, you might as well get it out of holes and start putting it on the fire. Notice also 2 Timothy chapter 1. Notice this. Paul says to Timothy, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame. It's beautiful. It's, it's all coming together right here. Do not quench the spirit. Do not put out the spirit's fire. Rather, fan into flame. Notice the gift, the gift. Don't despise prophecies, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, don't neglect the gift of the Holy Spirit. Rather, fan into flame. So when we had our fireplace at home as a kid, we had a bellows. You know, the things you, you, you squeeze together and the air comes out. And you go right down by the fire, and whoo, 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 and the air goes in the fire, whoo, 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 and mine went, ha, ah, ah, this is exciting, right? As it got bigger and brighter, and it was so neat to see the fire. Loved ones, we're supposed to do this with our lives. Let alone neglect him that the fire goes out. We're to fan the flame, baby. Fan the flame that his gift might be seen more in us, that we might give him more glory. This is what we're called to do. Not putting water on it. Is your gift being used? Anyone saved in Jesus Christ has at least one gift of the Holy Spirit, and he's certainly in you. Fan into flame, man. Get that fire going. Because otherwise, if we neglect the gift he's given to us, we're pouring water on that. Despising him, neglecting him, thirdly, Resisting him. You want to quench the Holy Spirit? Then resist him. I went back to Ephesians 4.30 because we're going to wrap up there in just a moment. But, loved ones, think of the story of the Israelites all throughout the Old Testament. The opportunity, the things they've witnessed. Think of the stubbornness on their hearts. Think of the pride that they felt. Think of the cycle of wandering away from God, resisting the will of God, and every time heaping buckets of water on what the Spirit of God was seeking to do through them. We are no different. When we resist the Holy Spirit of God, when our stubbornness and our pride, and the Holy Spirit is speaking to some here right now, Without question. The longer we resist him, the more in danger I believe we become. Do not grieve him, it causes him sorrow. Do not quench him. Do not quench him, it stifles his fire. Thirdly, I'm going to walk right into this point because it's so connected. Do not resist him. Beg him to fill you again. Loved ones, consider what the Holy Spirit even today says to his people. And possibly he says directly to you, his child right now. The Holy Spirit speaks into your life and he says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have secured you in the highest possible glory and privilege. The Holy Spirit says to you today, I want your heart. I want to be ever close to you. I want to fill you with my power I want you to know my joy. 
I want you to experience my love. But he also says today in a whisper and with supernatural gentleness, he says, but, but will you grieve me? In light of what I've done for you is the response from your life, will it be to grieve me? He asks, will you ignore me? Will you choose idols instead of me? Will you reject me? Will you rebuff me? Please don't, child. Please don't, child. The Holy Spirit is pictured as a dove in Scripture. Consider the purity and tenderness of a dove. Consider this metaphor. The Holy Spirit will never forsake us. He cannot leave us in terms of when He dwells within us. But listen, He might take flight for a season because we have grieved Him so. As we play in our broken cisterns, as we fail to enter our prayer closets, as we leave the word unopened, as we whore ourselves to idols, as we allow our TV screens to hold more of our worship than the Holy Spirit himself, this grieves him. And at this moment, the Holy Spirit realizes that he is not truly wanted or truly valued. And at that moment then, his power begins to leave us. I'll say it again. The Holy Spirit, we will never lose him ever, but we can grieve him. We can quiet his voice and dampen his influence. Oh, but we have so much time for the fiction novel. But no time for the Holy Spirit independence. Oh, so much energy for entertainment and pleasure and leisure, but no time for him. He is grieved as we demonstrate that we love worldly things better than we love the Holy Spirit of God. He is grieved when we trust in earthly riches more than heavenly promises. He is grieved at our unbelief, our failure to trust the Word of God. He is grieved at our ingratitude. He is grieved at our selfishness. He is grieved at our self-obsessed motivations and self-obsessed ambitions. Loved ones, we must be so careful and wise because if the Holy Spirit is grieved again and again and again, I believe we understand in Scripture there does come a time where He will suspend His comfort, His blessing, and His fruit. And this is where we read the word, but we have no understanding. This is when we beg for wisdom, but we find none. This is when we long for joy, but we swim in discouragement. This is when we long for light, but only see darkness. This is when we go on preaching, but there is no pleasure. This is where we teach our children, but there is no love. There might be some resistance so what's being said right now, and you might object, yeah, but, but God loves me. But God loves me. You're right. He loves you more than you know. And he loves you enough to discipline you and to withdraw his presence in some form, maybe from your life and mine, to cause us to feel what it's like to live without his fruit And tangible presence within our lives. He loves us enough to discipline us. 
I pray that we feel the weight of grieving the Holy Spirit of God. Let us feel His holiness. Let us look afresh again at His unmerited grace and all that He's done and given for us that we might see His love and that we might love in return. And the last thing we then would ever want to do is to grieve Him with the sin that is found within our lives. And here's what I believe. There are some here right now, the Holy Spirit's been striving with you all week long. And in many ways, you cannot believe that you have sat down to be confronted with this message at this time. Because it's precisely what you needed to hear. And it's precisely what the Lord has wanted to say to you. Because he loves you and me. What is the biblical response at this point? Five things I want you to see. Here's our response. Search your heart for sin. Again, Psalm 139. Search my heart, O God. Try me and know me. See if there be any grievous way within me. Search my heart, Lord. Is there any place in my life that I have grieved you, quenched you, revealed to me? Some of us know. Some of us knew within the first five minutes. Search your heart for sin. Secondly, repent with tears and sighs. Praying that we would feel the weight of what's happening. That we're not in the midst of some game. This isn't some fluffy uh, theological show of trying to get a few pieces of wisdom. No, no, this is a relationship with the living God. And we repent. God, I repent of my sin. God, it's so sad that I have caused you to feel sad. Thirdly, Resist him no longer. Pride. Pride has no place in this room right now. Resist him no longer. Fourthly, beg him to fill you again. Lord, we need you so much. God, this life can't be lived apart from you. There's no way. I'll just share with you. Recent days, Lord, I cannot leave my family apart from you. I cannot be the husband that you have called me to be apart from you. I cannot lead a church of several thousand people in a spiritual way for the Lord Jesus Christ apart from you. There's, there's no chance. There's no chance. God, I cannot keep seeing the bar of passion for Jesus Christ on my strength. I can't do it. I beg you to fill me again. I beg you, as I read your word, that you are my sufficiency and you are my answer. Lastly, pray until the Holy Spirit comes. You keep praying. I've been pressing into prayer in Him. And I can't tell you, man, the moment you really start to let yourself be seen and your heart be heard 
and you start to petition the Lord like Hannah did, as I said, and you pour yourself out before him and you call upon him, I'm telling you, in the midst of the prayer, in the midst of the prayer, the Lord meets me where I am and you begin to encounter and experience again the loving touch and embrace and grace and power and filling of the Holy Spirit of God in a way that the world could never ever match or come close or even imagine what that feels like. He is so kind. He is so gracious. He is so good. He is so loving. Listen, He wants you. He wants you. But He doesn't force you but he does invite you. Every single person that approaches Jesus Christ tonight with a true sense of brokenness over their sin and grieving the Holy Spirit of God, every single person will be met with an infinite amount of grace and mercy and love. And you will be met with a Savior with arms stretched so wide to the point they are nailed to a cross. It took every single sin of yours, past, present, and future, and not one person will be turned away, not one. Every single person that believes in the gospel of Jesus Christ and recognizes he is the answer and their sufficiency and love and delight, every single person will be met with acceptance and grace and love and tenderness and gentleness and an indescribable, infinite sense of worth and love that is only found in him. Every single person who approaches him with pride down and humility seen and repentance declared, you will be met are the only one who can cleanse you and redeem you, who has sealed you, and who guarantees your passage into glory forever and ever. I believe I've done my part. Before the Lord, I do. And now it's time for you to do your part. It's a choice, man. Like, what do you want? You want him or do you want the world? Do you want his power or do you want your weakness, your strength, your limited frailty? Let's pray. I just pray you'll be still where you are. We're about to we're about to share the Lord's Supper together. Just 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 think how perfect this is right now. Just consider how perfect it is to see the symbols of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ and what he did for you. Just consider that you hold the symbols that took on every single sin ever, ever for you and for me. No wonder the Bible tells us that every time we receive the Lord's Supper to examine ourselves, to treat this with such seriousness and reverence, 
And so I pray that you would. Loved ones, I just encourage you again, if you are here and you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you believe you are repentant before the Lord and you desire for your heart to be cleansed, you have nothing to fear. Everything, everything to be so filled with faith for. You take, you take these elements, you receive them and just thank them, just thank them, just thank them. That even though we grieve him, he loves us and forgives us and cleanses us and restores us and uses us and that today's a new day again. But you come to him with a heart that is real and a heart that is repentant. And you let the, you let the process of the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, the symbols of to renew your mind again and to stoke the fire, to stoke the fire of the Holy Spirit in you. If you are here tonight and you do not know Jesus Christ, you were not saved in Jesus Christ, please don't take it. Please don't take the Lord's Supper. As you can understand, hopefully, it is for those who are genuinely in relationship with Him. But we invite you we invite you to give your life to Jesus Christ, to turn from your sin, and to be set free, to run from darkness, to embrace the light, to be released from the chains of Satan himself, and to be embraced by the perfect, unbreakable love of the Savior, the light of the world, Jesus Christ himself. Oh, Lord, I pray. I pray you will revive hearts even now. Oh, Lord, I pray that you will throw fuel on the fire, that you will allow us, Lord, to be renewed and refreshed in you, to be revived in the presence of the Lord. Please, Lord, use this time now. Servers, you may begin right now. In Jesus' name.